You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, You know those how it started, how it's going memes? They're usually visual jokes, like those me reaping, me sowing memes, or those fuck around and find out memes. Basically, to qualify for a how it started, or me reaping, or fuck around meme, you gotta pull some shit you thought was clever, and that you thought you would get away with, and then get your ass handed to you. Before social media came along, before memes became fodder for viral visual jokes, we used to call this shit getting your comeuppance, being hoist by your own petard. Well, the pro-life movement, they're reaping it now and they are reaping it hard. They fucked around, they're finding out. We all remember how it started. They fought for 50 years to strip women of their constitutional right to control their own bodies, to make their own decisions about terminating a pregnancy. And they did it. They got Roe v. Wade overturned with the Dobbs decision a little more than a year ago, returning the regulation of abortion to the states. And how's that going? Well, the New York Times reported this weekend, legal abortions most likely increased in the United States in the first six months of the year compared with 2020. An analysis of new estimates shows as states with more permissive abortion laws absorbed patients traveling from those with bans and access to abortion pills via telemedicine continued to expand. All right, for the record, I think it's better when people don't need to get abortions because they were using contraception or the men involved were taking author Gabriel Blair's advice to ejaculate responsibly. That is the name of her terrific book, Ejaculate responsibly. That is her message to men. She was a guest on the show. Everyone, particularly everyone out there with a penis, should read her book. So one year after repealing Roe, Americans are having more abortions, not fewer. Why? Well, I don't think women and other people who need abortions are getting abortions out of spite. I don't think that's it at all. It's the outrage at Roe being overturned that resulted in more information being shared online and elsewhere that's helping women who might not have known how to get abortion medications order their M&Ms online, and it's helped more women find the financial and logistical assistance that's out there for women who need to travel to get an abortion out of state if they happen to live in a red state where abortion has been banned. You may recall that after the Dobbs decision leaked, the pro-choice group put out an ad that really pissed off the pro-life crowd. It's dark, at the middle of the night, a middle-aged woman is in a car with her daughter, and they've just been pulled over. License, please. Where are you headed? Oh, we're just out for a drive. Headed to the border? Oh, no, no, we were just going up to the- uh, Hey there. What's your name? Grace? Are you pregnant, Grace? Step out of the vehicle. She does not have to yeah, do she that. Does. No, 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 no. Show me your hands no. on the wheels, please. Grace, Grace, step out of the vehicle. Grace, on the Grace, wheel. Grace, it's okay. Oh. Pro-life groups objected. They were not proposing travel restrictions. They weren't going to send cops out to pull women over and arrest them if they were taking their daughters across state lines to get abortions. That was fear-mongering, plain and simple demagoguery. They were never going to do such a thing. Well, guess what? Pro-life groups are proposing and in some counties in Texas have already enacted laws regulating travel, travel restrictions, laws criminalizing women who take their daughters or friends or coworkers across state lines to get an abortion. As the Washington Post reported in a piece headlined, highways are the next anti-abortion targets. Quote, more than a year after Roe v. Wade was overturned, many conservatives have grown frustrated by the number of people able to circumvent anti-abortion laws. That frustration is driving a new strategy in heavily conservative cities and counties across Texas. That strategy, pass laws in anti-abortion cities and counties, and eventually in anti-abortion states, that make it illegal to transport anyone to get an abortion on public roads. I'm going to read a little bit more from the Washington Post because this is just so chilling. 
Anti-abortion advocates behind the measure are targeting regions along interstates and in areas with airports with the goal of blocking off the main arteries out of Texas and keeping pregnant women hemmed within the confines of their anti-abortion state. So, here we are. A year after pro-lifers got what they wanted, Roe overturned, and the abortion rate went up, and now they're doing what they swore they weren't planning to do and would never do and insisted was a lie. Make traveling to get an abortion a crime. Dobbs is a huge loss for women's rights, but pro-lifers, they've been losing ever since at the ballot box, not just with the abortion rate, in blue states and red. NBC News has a headline, abortion rights have won in every election since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Vermont and California, blue states, you would expect abortion to win at the ballot box in Vermont and California, but abortion rights have also triumphed at the ballot box in red states, in Kansas and Montana and Ohio and Kentucky and in the purple state, Michigan. The pro-lifers keep getting their asses handed to them. And yes, I am calling them pro-lifers now. I've been using the term pro-life throughout this intro intentionally because Republicans want their side and our side to stop using the term pro-life because it's not polling well. It is an anchor around their necks as they head into 2024. Ben Dreyfus makes a great point and is always entertaining, sometimes alarmingly entertaining. Substack, calmdownben.com. A loud segment of the left has spent years insisting that referring to pro-lifers as pro-life was something only gullible dumbasses did who'd been tricked by the messaging masters at the GOP. The theory is that people are so stupid that they would see the word pro-life and read it the way an alien would read it and think pro equals support and life. I like life. Pro-life? Good. This is the dumbest thing in the whole wide world. People in America know what the term pro-life means. Indeed, they do. Pro-lifers have been showing us who they are for decades, but a lot of people weren't paying attention. And for a lot of people, abortion wasn't a deciding issue when they went to vote. But people are paying attention now, and abortion is a deciding issue for more voters today than it was a year ago. We can expect their efforts, the efforts of toxic pro-lifers, their efforts to stop women from getting abortions, to grow more extreme, like laws criminalizing interstate travel while female. And they can expect us to show up on election day in 2024 and hand them their asses again. All right, Portland, Victoria, Oakland, Minneapolis, you are up next. The Hump Film Festival is coming to town. The Hump Film Festival is playing at theaters in you. Go to humpfilmfest.com for dates, showtimes, and tickets. And be sure to check out our brand new Hump Streaming Library at the website. And while you're on our website, be sure to click on Submit to find out everything you need to know about getting your little pornographic masterpiece into the Hump Film Festival. All right, coming up on today's show, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the Magnum Savage Lovecast, culture and lifestyle reporter Darshita Goyal joins me to discuss her recent piece on Mashable about the deeply satisfying but possibly problematic and hugely popular Facebook pages, Are We Dating the Same Guy? All that coming up on today's show. I have a new Friends with Benefits relationship Neither of us can, like, host the relationship at our place because I'm married and non-monogamous and he has a lot of roommates. So we just started seeing each other. We've hooked up a couple times in the afternoon at my place. Um, it's literally been less than a week. But we made plans and booked a, an Airbnb so we could spend the night together because it's been, like, really hot and going really great. Today, like, a couple hours after hooking up, I got a text from him that he's rushing out of town to be with his mom who just had a stroke. And he was like, you know, I'm really sorry. Tell me what I owe you for the Airbnb. Like, I'm going to be gone this weekend. So I, of course, said, like, don't worry about it. I think I can probably cancel it. Like, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm shocked for you. Thinking of you and your family, whatever. Like, take care of yourself kind of thing. Do I need to do anything else like in a few days or a week or something if I haven't heard from him should I like follow up I don't want to sound like I'm following up like hey are we gonna fuck again like when he's busy dealing with something it's weird because I don't know him super well 
but it was like very intense there uh, for a minute. I don't want to come off like I'm following up in some like emotionally too close way that isn't really the vibe. I also don't want to seem completely disconnected and dispassionate. I mean, I did send a compassionate like response today. Should I just back off and let him make the next move? And then if he doesn't text me again in like a week, does that mean this that I did something to give him the ick and this is all some weird lie? Friends with benefits should be friends. Sometimes people who are in FWB arrangements forget that that F stands for friend. And friends are there for each other. Friends care about each other. The FWB label when slapped on a relationship, and this is a nascent, a beginning, an early, a new relationship, it doesn't absolve the people in it of any responsibility of care and projecting concern when your FWB is facing a life crisis. You've done that. He let you know his mother had a medical emergency. He had to leave town suddenly. He apologized. You sent him a note saying, oh, I'm so sorry. If there's anything I can do, thinking of you, please take care of your mother. Don't worry about the cost. I'll eat it or take care of it or get it canceled. You sent the text message that you needed to send, that you should have sent as a friend. But what you need to recognize is that you're a new friend. You need to bear that in mind. He hopefully has family who are there for him right now, close friends, people who are his true intimates. You're not a close friend yet. That early slapping of an FWB label on your relationship, that was aspirational. If you just met and you just began to fuck and it's clearly going to be an FWB arrangement, calling it that so soon out of the gate, that tells him what you're open for, hoping for, and that's him telling you what he's open for and hoping for. You were talking about a place you wanted your relationship to go, a way in which you hope this relationship would grow. And what you need to recognize right now is you haven't known him long enough or been fucking him long enough or been his FWB long enough to have arrived at that stage where you are a close friend with benefits and an intimate. So... The text message you sent for now, considering where your relationship is now, is enough. Give him some time. Give him some space. He has enough on his hands. You don't want to make him feel like he needs to manage your feelings and expectations and be thinking of you at this moment. So just hang the fuck back. Give it a week. After a week, send him a message that says, I'm thinking of you and your mom. That's it. That's all you have to say. Thinking of you and your mom. And when he gets back to town, I'm sure He'll follow up with you unless this was all, like you said, a weird lie. I don't think this is the kind of lie someone would pull out of their ass to get out of a weekend away with a brand new FWB. My mom had a stroke. That would be a weird big ass lie that if it turned out it was a lie, that would mean he's not someone that you wanted in your bed, in your house in the middle of the day or to spend any time with in an Airbnb but I don't think it was a lie. I also don't think you're his friend quite yet. Hey, Dan, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. In a new thing, it's fantastic, but we're both givers, and that seems to be canceling each other out, or rather canceling me out because I'm not used to that. I think we're both a little bit too similar in the bedroom, and I don't really know how to voice that I need a little more edge. I don't know how else to say that, but yeah, too much. Uh, we're, we're, we're both kind of the same, and that's working out really well, but I kind of see a little bit of a problem down the road on that. Anyways, what would you suggest for someone who needs a little more edge from their new partner There was a study that came out, must have been 20 years ago, and I would look it up for you right now, but right now I'm recording my podcast and I can't be expected to record and research at the same time, but it is out there. And it found something that at the time seemed a little counterintuitive. It found that selfish people were generally better lovers, that 
something that people wanted from a lover was this sense of them taking their pleasure from you, them taking their pleasure on you, them taking from you, not just giving, not just being solicitous, although that is wonderful, but not just being solicitous of you and your pleasure, not just centering your pleasure and asking how they may be of service, but also wanting from you, taking from you, using you as an instrument of their own pleasure. So it's good to be in bed with someone who's not exclusively a giver, but also a taker. I don't think anybody who authored that study was endorsing 100% selfish all the time, thinking of only their own needs during sex kinds of lovers. We've all been with people like that. They're terrible lovers. But someone who has more than one gear, somebody who can shift into drive and also shift into reverse and break when necessary. And so what you and your current lover are sort of facing right now is this realization that maybe all the people you've been with in the past were more taker than giver and you were both givers and a lot of your identity as erotic people, sexual people, as lovers was wrapped up in meeting a taker's needs, being taken by somebody, giving them that. And what you've got to understand, the kind of flip you've got to make in your head is that taking can also be a kind of giving. That taking your pleasure, centering your own pleasure in a consensual way with somebody who wants your pleasure to be centered, who's interested in meeting your needs, being selfish now and then is also in a double reverse backflip photo negative kind of way how you can give. If you can hold those two contradictory thoughts in your heads at the same time while you're fucking each other and there's some give and take and flow between who's giving and who's taking, but also recognizing that at those moments that you're taking, you're also, so long as the pleasure you're taking on and with your partner are pleasures that they enjoy, things that they want to do with you and for you, you are giving to them at the same time. If you can hold those two seemingly contradictory thoughts in your head at the same time, you might be able to make this work. Addressing one other thing you brought up was how do you get your lover to have more edge? It would be helpful if you could articulate what exactly that means. And you don't articulate that to me in your question. I'm wondering if you're not able also to articulate that to your lover. Just asking someone, I need you to feel edge. Well, what does that, what does that mean? What does edgy mean for you? You need them to be more dominant. You need them to be more controlling. You want to be held down. You need to feel that they are sometimes overwhelmed by their desire and lust for you and have to take you right there in the car, in the kitchen, in your the bathroom, at a friend's house, during a party. What does that mean? You can't be vague. You can't just say to someone, I need you to be edgier and then expect them to guess. And when you put someone in a position where they feel like they have to guess what it is that you want, you are setting yourself up for a potentially traumatizing experience and them up for a potentially traumatizing experience because they're highly likely to guess wrong. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Euphoria, makers of products for amazing sex, the kind of sex you want to have. Products including arousal oil, clean lube, bath salts, and suppositories. People are literally saying things like this about Foria's products. This is a quote. I had a three-minute orgasm and then a five-minute orgasm and felt like I was surfing in a perpetual wave pool of pleasure. And another quote, we use Awaken, and when she gets on top, we both come so hard that we see sounds and hear colors. And it doesn't hurt when GQ calls you the best sex product of the year, and Shape says you are the best invention since the vibrator. Now, this is a little personal, but Terry and I tried the suppository and leave it to Foria to make suppositories sexy. They did it. I'm not sure what they put in there. I know there's CBD at least, but they have some serious love potion energy. So yeah, you have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to more deeper, fuller pleasure 
wherever you can find it as often as possible. And you can start with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting www.foriawellness.com slash savage or use the code savage at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their awaken arousal oil and sex oil. You'll thank me later. Hi, Dan. I wonder if you could weigh in on a phenomenon that I have been experiencing. I've been jacking off since I was about 15. When I first started doing it, I had not yet begun producing sperm. I found that my orgasms during those times sent tingles throughout my whole body. Once I started ejaculating sperm, the feelings were still good, of course, but not the same intensity as the pre-ejaculate orgasms. I'm now 76 years old, and my sperm factory has gone out of business. Barely a drop, if that. I'm noticing now that the sensation that I have during orgasm harken back to the early days before I had sperm. Not quite as intense as those teenage days, but similar. I'm just wondering, are you familiar with any language or medical description for the sensations in an orgasm that produces no ejaculate? Men, as they age, and you are age 70, tend to produce less semen, less mobile sperm cells, and less ejaculate over time. It's as if the little glands and pumps and jizz factory down there in our junk and our crotches, that shuts down. But the pump system still works. That's why you're still able to get aroused. That's why you're still able to experience the pleasures of orgasm, even if when you go into your orgasmic contractions, there's nothing for those contractions to send flying out the head of your dick anymore, except that small drop. I haven't heard of people, uh, of men people, having orgasms that were more all body and intense after their semen sperm ejaculate factory shut down, but they were still capable of climaxing. Doesn't mean it's not a thing, but I don't think it's a common enough thing that anyone out there would have studied it. If I am wrong and someone out there listening has studied it, or knows of studies about this phenomena, please send it our way. Let us know. I would encourage you, caller, while we wait for the studies that probably aren't going to come in, because again, I really don't think this has been studied, rather than to regard this as a mystery or a problem, to regard it as a blessing, some compensation from the universe for you as your orgasms changed, maybe because you are less focused on the ejaculatory moment, so many men, our dicks almost train us. We get into this feedback loop with our dicks where it is about that moment of ejaculation. And maybe now that you're not pushing toward that moment of ejaculation and that sort of visual affirmation that ejaculation provides us, maybe you're taking longer. Maybe you're engaged in a kind of deeper exploration of self-pleasure now in the same way that you were more deeply self-pleasuring yourself before you were capable of ejaculating, when you were a teenager, and you're just activating more nerve endings, you're sending more signals up to different parts of your brain uh, that hadn't been activated for the last 50, 60 years, and the orgasms are better and more intense. That's my theory. I just pulled that out of my ass. I think it's a pretty good one. And until we hear from somebody who's actually done the studies who may know, uh, that's the best you're going to get out of me. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the makers of my mattress and the makers of your next mattress. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. The Helix Sleep lineup offers 14 unique mattresses, 
including a new collection of six luxury models called Helix Elite. These mattresses are loaded up with super high-tech features like a built-in cooling cover, comfort layers tailored to sleeping position support, and edge reinforcement. And every Helix Elite mattress comes with a 15-year manufacturer's warranty and the same 100-night trial as the rest of Helix mattresses. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz now to find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and your personalized mattress will be shipped straight to your door free of charge for that 100-night trial, you get to try out your new Helix mattress, see how your body adjusts, and if you decide it's not the best fit for you, you are welcome to return it for a full refund. Right now, Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for my listeners. Go to helixsleep.com savage for 20% off. This is their best offer yet. It won't last long. Go to Helix. Go now with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Hey Dan, long time listener. Thanks for the many years of great advice. I'm in an online in bedroom only dom sub relationship. I'm a masochist sub. He is a sadist master of a sexy as hell dynamic, and most of our play revolves around consensual non consent, pain, and humiliation. Kinks that are very close to my heart. Being that our relationship is solely online, we both also really interested in the psychology of submission, how to get there, ways to get there. I wanted to explore mindfuck and its destabilizing effect during play. We spent a lot of time discussing setting and exploring limits. I knew there would be violent storytelling involved. We started play and he went on a mindfuck tangent. However, it was so violent, so extreme. I called time. And he stopped immediately, went straight into a long session of aftercare. He's been checking on me regularly, doing all the right things. In discussions afterward, I asked if he actually got off on that level of violence, and apparently he does. So with mindfuck literally accomplished, my question is, is violent, and I mean snuff-style violent fantasy, a common thing? Or am I actually hanging out with a bad person? Is snuff style violence snuff of course is a usually that word is used in reference to a genre of extremely violent pornography that looms large in the cultural imagination i don't think there's much actual snuff porn out there but snuff porn is pornography where someone is murdered now when you think about it a lot of our mass entertainment involves violence murder mayhem Dexter, Jeffrey Dahmer documentaries, dumb superhero movies where half of humanity is wiped off the face of the earth one day. So much of our fear of violence gets processed through cultural entertainments that represent it, that that show us our fears so that we, through the process of catharsis, can purge our fears. And everyone's fine with that. Okay, so another way that we process our fears, our cultural traumas, is through our erotic imagination. There are some people out there who are turned on by the idea of being murdered. As with all kinks, there are more subs than doms. There are more people out there who fantasize about someone in the moment having the power of life and death over them. Most people who fantasize about that moment aren't fantasizing about dying they just want the person who has power over them at that moment to have that power so they can sit with, in that eroticized context, that fear and through the process of catharsis, purge it. There are some people who fantasize about and are turned on by the thought of murdering people. This guy seems to be one of those guys. Not everyone who has violent homicidal sexual fantasies acts on them. People can have whatever fantasies, I don't want to say they choose to have because a lot of people's sexual interests, where their erotic imaginations go, not a fully conscious process, not something we choose. A lot of people who have these kinds of fantasies are still moral actors and can distinguish between what arouses them to contemplate or to think about and what is ethically and morally impossible and not something they would ever do in reality. The way this person treats you, the aftercare, the consideration that he demonstrated, also his honesty when you put the question to him, 
I think that all argues against he's looking for someone to murder or he has murdered someone. But there are definitely people out there in the papers every day. Netflix murder documentaries clogging up my feed who have acted on these desires and impulses. Is he one of those people who might, who would? I couldn't tell you for sure that he's not. You're safe. This is a purely online relationship. These are text exchanges. You're just cranking each other up and going to a very dark place. A lot of people would regard consensual non-consent, rape or ravishment, play, pain, humiliation, masochist and sadist playing as already being in a dark place. Now, it's fine for you to have dark sexual fantasies and say to somebody, there are other sexual fantasies that for me are too extreme. If it's not enough for you, for him just to not go there anymore, if you don't feel comfortable playing with him online, interacting with him, because that is a place he would also, with the, the right partner, through fantasy play, enjoy going, well, then you don't have to play with him anymore. You're not in any immediate or imminent danger. He's a person on your computer. Not everybody in the edge play mindfuck wants to go to this kind of level of violence or fantasies about violence, but it opens the door to these kinds of fantasies being shared, being discussed, which is different than them being acted on. So what do you do? Well, you don't play with this guy anymore if you're uncomfortable playing with him now, knowing what you know. If you want to keep playing with this guy but want to feel comfortable playing with this guy, it might help if you had a conversation about these interests of his and the extent of them. And during those conversations, you'll be able to get a sense of his moral core. A lot of people have really fucked up fantasies that they know are not things that they could do but additionally know that they aren't things they would ever do. But to think about them, to turn them over in their heads, to fantasize, anything is permissible in fantasy. And a lot of murder and mayhem is obviously permissible to us as entertainment. And what is BDSM, this kind of kinky, dirty talk, but two people creating a play and a drama with and for each other? It's theater for two. It's an entertainment you're creating for each other, with each other, to arouse each other. Can that entertainment ever involve a fantasy about death? Obviously it can, if both people are comfortable fantasizing about that. And it obviously can if it's an entertainment being created for millions of people to turn out at the theater to enjoy. Seems to me that a fantasy that goes to a place, an entertainment that goes to a place as dark as murder and mayhem, if that's all right for mass entertainment, if I can fire up my streamers and watch that kind of content 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, then it has to be okay for two people to create that entertainment, that fantasy, that story for each other. Oh, hey, Dan, I have a question about ASMR which came to mind again after that guy with the sexy voice came on a couple episodes ago. I first heard of, of that, I think, right before COVID on your show. And to me, it was really related to a fetish and sex and sexuality and sensuousness. And then I heard my kids' friends and my kids talking about it. And I was like, whoa, whoa, no, don't say that. And now... It's just more popular, and now the kids, you know, 11, 12 years old, are going, oh, that's so satisfying when there's some sound or phrase or feeling or something, and I just get weirded out because I think it's an adult thing. Am I looking at this wrong? Has this sort of always been or morphed into just a everyday thing for everybody that oh, it just freaks me out because these kids and it seems like, oh, that's turning me on. But they're just saying, satisfying. I just told my kids, I don't want to hear you say satisfying. Checking in on the old 
Wiki, ASMR, Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response, a tingling sensation that usually begins on the scalp and moves down the back of the neck and the upper spine, a pleasant form of paresthesia. It has been compared with auditory tactile synesthesia. Not necessarily kinky, not necessarily sexual. Some people are turned on by ASMR videos. There's something about the way that sounds, those sensations, those tingles that are sexually arousing for them. ASMR videos, though, aren't just for and aren't just created by people who have that particular kink. I think that your kids are basically enjoying ASMR for the like weird tickly feeling and you need to stop bringing to it your knowledge of this minority of people who enjoy ASMR videos or, or sound files, creating them or listening to them or both, that minority for whom it is a kink and for whom it is sexual. And just let your kids enjoy the autonomous sensory meridian response, which is all they're getting out of it. You know, when I was a kid, we used to do this thing where, you know, you would as lightly as possible try to run your fingers down the back of somebody's head and neck and top of their spine to induce a like sort of all body shiver. It wasn't kinky. It wasn't sexual. It was just kids being kids and kids being weirdos and kids exploring what their nerve endings could do for them and what you could do with other people's nerve endings. And it wasn't necessarily sexual. It was just human animal. That's all your kids are doing. So calm the fuck down, dad. ASMR. Yeah. Some people are pervy for it. Most people are just in it for the tingle. Your kids are in it for the tingle. Maybe one of your kids will grow up to be an ASMR perv. Can't be ruled out. If you'd like that to be less likely, <laughs> if you'd rather that not happen, you freaking out at your kids about how dirty this ASMR shit is and acting weird about it when they talk about enjoying it, that ups the odds that your kids are going to realize it's naughty and shameful. And there's nothing like realizing something is naughty and shameful and not quite understanding why for turning something random and pleasurable and non-sexual into a lifelong kink. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I'm a cis bi woman in my late 20s calling from a German city that you know and love. I've been in a relationship with a man for two years now, and it has been open for the most part of it, but it is the first open relationship for both of us. So recently, you've had a bit of a dry spell, which is our first one. And also, he has been living with me for a few months while looking for an apartment. And this caused a bit of strain in our relationship because my apartment is really, really tiny. We also haven't been seeing other people a lot. But recently, he met this woman who, you know, is cool, good looking. They have similar interests, which I'm happy about. But she does make me feel a bit insecure. So they went on a date last night. They had met a couple times before, but they hadn't had sex yet. Because I am feeling a bit insecure, I communicated this and I asked them to, to be attentive of this. And he knows that when I am feeling more insecure, that I prefer that he has shorter dates so that he doesn't have dates that I go for like five or six hours, right? And that they don't drag until very late in the night so that they don't end at three or four in the morning. Also, one boundary that we do have is that we don't do sleepovers. I mean, I don't care about the sex part. Like, it's fine if they have sex, I, but I do care about this stuff. Well, so they had a date last night and they met at 6 p.m. I went to sleep in the meantime and then I woke up at 3 and I found it weird that he hadn't said anything yet. So I texted him and he said, hey, everything went fine. Like we had dinner, had sex and now she fell asleep in my bed. And I said, well, this makes me really uncomfortable. Can you do anything about it? It's like, well, I, I don't want to be an asshole. Well, I mean, but you don't have to. This is a boundary that you've set before. Like you said that this is not okay. So, you know, give her a few minutes. If she doesn't wake up, maybe you could wake her up and say, hey, I'm going to call you an Uber or I'm going to walk you home. Don't have to be an asshole about it. But and he said, yeah, sure. I'll see what I can do. But then the time kept going and he didn't do anything. He said he just didn't have the courage to wake her up, that he was going to make her feel bad. He was going to make her feel used. Yeah, and I communicated that I really didn't like this, and I really didn't like this on top of the fact that the date was super long, that it was super late at night, and I'm really uncomfortable by this. And I feel like he prioritized 
this girl's need for a few more hours of sleep instead of my need for safety in our relationship. Am I being too much then or is my partner not meeting my needs? Yes, your boyfriend violated the rules and conditions of your open relationship, your boundaries, things you told him that he needed to do so that you felt comfortable being in an open relationship with him or things he needed to not do. No long dates, no sleepovers. He violated your boundaries. He broke those rules. Now what? Well, sometimes boundaries are great. Sometimes boundaries are awesome. There's no relationship without rules and boundaries, open relationships, live or die by their rules and boundaries. But sometimes, you know, it's not, okay, so I'm going to say he violated a boundary, broke a rule. So off of this head, the relationship's over. Sure. You could say that though. In reality, often, sometimes, occasionally when a rule is broken, that can be a sign that maybe the rule is unreasonable or arbitrary and needs to be rethought or renegotiated. It is better. It is ideal or rules that need to be rethought or renegotiated to be renegotiated in advance of the breaking of the rule, that the breakage of the rule is anticipated and that anticipation motivates the conversation about renegotiating that particular rule. In reality, sometimes rules are renegotiated in the wake of breakage. Do you want to keep seeing this guy? Do you want to keep fucking this guy? Do you want to be in a relationship with this guy? Well, then you're going to have to revisit, perhaps renegotiate these rules in the wake of this breakage. And I got to say, I'm on team let her sleep over. I'm on team turning a woman out onto the streets of Berlin or wherever, whatever major European capital we're talking about here at three or four o'clock in the morning. Groggy, maybe a little still drunk, having just been fucked is insensitive, is inconsiderate, is needlessly performatively devoted to rules that in practice may not allow for the full humanity of the other person who also matters. Doesn't mean your boyfriend didn't break the rules, violate your boundaries. He did. But in the moment, he realized that that rule, that boundary was hard to honor without wronging this other person that he just shared this experience with. So what do you do? Well, I think you need to renegotiate the rules. I think you need to rethink the rules in light of the difficulty of honoring them in the moment. The difficulty that he experienced honoring that rule, obeying that rule in the moment. Because it meant waking somebody up out of a deep sleep post-fuck and showing them the door. How would you feel? if you were on the receiving end of that from some dude that you just had sex with. Probably not great, right? Speaks well of him that he didn't want to make the person he just had sex with feel not great in that not great way. But then he broke the rules, prioritizes stranger's feelings over your feelings. Yeah, that's not okay. He should apologize for that. And you guys should rethink this rule. Because in practice, I don't think it's workable. Also, the short date rule in reality, women who are sleeping with men, particularly women who may be thinking about sleeping with a man who has another partner, women take a little bit more time, understandably, to vet a male partner because of violence, sexual violence, intimate partner violence. It is riskier for a woman to go home with a man than a man to go home with a woman or a man to go home with a man. And so that it took four or five hours for her to feel comfortable going home with your boyfriend for sex, that's understandable. I think that's another rule you may have to rethink. This arbitrary limitation of the amount of time he's allowed to spend with a woman before hooking up with her. How long a date can go on. Because a date, if he's going to actually have sex with other woman, might need to go on a little bit longer so that she feels comfortable having sex with him, going home with him. There isn't a grinder out there well, the straight women who are up for jumping on random dicks right fucking now. Women don't roll that way. And your rules for him about the other women he sleeps with need to work with those women, who they are, what their needs are around comfort and safety. And when you're in a couple, a couple that has sex with other people, the other people you're having sex with are people too. 
You have needs and feelings and wants that have to be taken into consideration. And no one wants to be woken up at three or four o'clock in the morning and turned out onto the street. Well, probably too far to say no one wants that. Probably some people want that. There is many people out there who do not want to wake up in some stranger's bed on Sunday morning as there are people who do not want strangers waking up in their beds on Sunday morning. He didn't want to wake this woman up to find out that she wasn't one of those women who didn't want to wake up in a stranger's bed the next morning and was instead one of those women who would feel, as many women and men would feel, hurt, used, discarded, being chucked out of the apartment of somebody they had a great night with as soon as they were done fucking them. All right, before we get to this week's response calls, I want to share a couple of comments left on last week's show at savage.love. Says Sarah, couldn't disagree more with Dan regarding Naked Weirdo at the book party. Either the caller wants to create a trans-inclusive space for women or she wants to center her male friend's boner. I would also want to say, and who I participated in a sexual situation with, and it wouldn't be with a guy who saw trans women as inherently scarier than cis women. Says Steve, your advice, Dan, to the woman wanting the naked male server missed a couple of things. You suggest that since the caller currently has no trans women who've signed up for her book club, the problem is hypothetical. Dating someone who is uncomfortable around gay people is purely hypothetical, Dan, if you have no gay friends. But is that the energy you want? Says John, is this a book club or a sex party pretending to be a book club? Pick one. If it's a sex party built around this guy's specific kink, let him vet guests. If it's a book club, don't have a naked pervert serving drinks. This would not fly for a second in my radical queer sex positive social group because it sounds just so incredibly fucking creepy and predatory. Oh my God, where to begin? There's being comfortable around gay people. That is one thing. And then there's being comfortable having a gay person in the room with you while you are having a sexual experience. That's a very different thing. If a straight guy was uncomfortable with me being in the room while he was having sex or what counts for him as sex, I wouldn't have a problem with that or with him. If he was uncomfortable being at a dinner party with me or sitting next to me on an airplane, I would have a problem with that. And people... The existence of a woman who would entertain this man's offer suggests the existence of a circle of friends who enjoy sexually charged events or might enjoy a sexually charged flourish or garnish at an event that isn't strictly sexual. Just because this wouldn't fly in your sex positive social group doesn't mean it wouldn't fly in anyone's. But for the record, I'm all for inclusive play and inclusive group play when groups play or book clubs meet. I'm also for people being allowed to decide for themselves who they want in the room during what for them is a sexual experience. If the caller, the original caller, thinks this friend is making it all about him, she can tell him to fuck off. And if the caller objects on principle to someone who isn't comfortable doing their sex stuff, with trans women in the room or any other marginalized community, if that is a turn off for her, she can tell him to fuck off. But I don't think she's obligated to tell him to fuck off for the same reason I wouldn't tell a straight friend she couldn't sleep with some straight guy who didn't want me around while it was happening. It would suck if there was a trans woman who wanted to join this group and wasn't allowed to because of the naked weirdo waiter, which is why I advise the caller if and when a trans woman wants to join the book club to send the naked weirdo waiter packing. All right. For more listener comments and more of my responses, check out Struggle Session posted on Thursdays at savage.love, where I respond to comments, emails, and DMs. It is another perk for my Magnum subs. For all the perks, become my sub right now at savage.love. All right. Now on to listener response calls. Hey, I'm calling in response to the guy from last week who was struggling with his aromantic identity. I agree with everything Dan said, but in addition to that, I just wanted to say that there sort of is already a socially acceptable script for setting people's expectations in this situation. You can just say, I'm not looking for a relationship right now, and in my experience, as someone who's usually looking to stay single, people don't really dig deeper into that, and then if they do want a further explanation, you can give them one. Hi, I'm calling about the man from episode 880 who is having an emotional affair with a woman at his work. I think 
the advice was good that they definitely should not pursue that as a relationship. She should not ask her husband for a divorce or for a polyamorous situation. I can't imagine adding that on top of having four small children at home while you are working. I think it would be hard-pressed to find someone in the same situation who is completely satisfied because having four small children has got to be so exhausting and stressful. I can't imagine there's much left at the end of the day. And as a single parent, I can tell you that what's worse than being a married single mom with a companionable relationship with four young kids is being a single mother of four that is also working, that is going to be even more stressful, and dating is going to be almost impossible in that situation. Hey, Dan, response to the Burning Man open last week. You joked around and called it an orgy, which it certainly is in some spaces. I actually attended my first all-femme orgy this year, and it was absolutely fabulous. But it's also a really important venue for folks who are exploring their sexuality. I serve as a public dungeon top out there and have given a number of people what I believe is the first truly erotic experience of their lives. Being from the Bay Area, I can go to kink and BDSM events every week if I want to. But for folks coming to Burning Man from more rural or conservative areas, it may be the first chance they have to explore kink in a safe and social environment. I know Burning Man played a big role in me wanting to get more involved in the scene. And I was told by multiple people this year that experiences they had in our camp and dungeon changed their lives with respect to body confidence and sexuality. Burning Man isn't just for the influencers, EDM kids, DJs, and artists. It's also a really important space for kinksters. You don't have to drink or do drugs to come out and just get a really good spanking on Playa. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Go to savage.love slash askdan right now while the question is fresh in your mind to record your question or again, your comment. You can also use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love or you can leave us a message at 206 302 2064. While you're online, go to humpfilmfest.com to get streaming passes, to get tickets to a screening in a theater near you, and to find out by clicking on submit how you can get your brilliant little five minute or less porn masterpiece into my porn film festival, humpfilmfest.com slash submit. Follow me on Instagram and threads at Dan Savage. Follow me on Blue Sky at Dan Savage. And yes, you can still find me in the bad place at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Darshita Goyal on Twitter at Darshita Goyal with two L's. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Artunian and me and Nancy and the tech savvy at Risk Youth. We will all be back at you next week in an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.